This past week, Canada's McGill University International Review published an article entitled Secular Policy, Ecclesiastical Practice, Church and State in Putin's Russia. This caught our eye as we considered the Bible in the news. The article stated, Orthodoxy was considered integral to Russification, the process of homogenizing the ethnic and religious diversity of the 19th century Russian Empire's inhabitants. Comparatively, atheism was aggressively promoted throughout the Soviet era in an effort to rid the political climate of any potential counter-revolutionary institutions. Religious institutions were seen as yet another bourgeoisie tool to exploit the proletariat and therefore needed to be dismantled. With religiously reinvigorated Christianity coming to the forefront at the brink of the 21st century, Russia's state-Russian Orthodox Church relationship is steadily strengthening, end quote. Well, the changes that have been taking place in Russia have seen the growth of the influence of the Russian Orthodox Church. The article continued, Many Russian Orthodox Church clergy have supported the idea that some scholars define as symphonia, Church and State Harmony. Symphonia intends to represent the internal cohesion of one single human society, with the governing body responsible for human affairs and clergy responsible for spiritual matters. End quote. Well, the concept of the infusion of church and state is foreign to the Western world following the French Revolution. However, in Russia, there is a different outlook. As Vesvolod Chaplin, former spokesman of the Russian Orthodox Church, an archpriest of the Moscow parish, St. Nicholas in the Three Hills, stated in an interview. He said, most of the churches here in Russia and in all of Russia were lost in the 1920s and 1930s. We were very much oppressed during the Soviet rule. Now the church is free, and what is even more important, that we do have an opportunity nowadays to try to influence different spheres in the life of society. The very idea of separation of church and state is alien to the Orthodox civilization. It's a peculiarity of the West. Russia's embrace of the church is identified by Boris Falakov, professor for the Center of Religious Studies at the Russian State University. He stated the following, There's a kind of agreement between Putin's administration and the patriarchy. The church is still popular among the majority of the Russian people, and it makes him legitimate, you know, in their eyes. He is supported by the church. It's good. At a certain time, he decided to turn to the right. It was his famous speech in Munich when he said that we are surrounded by enemies, we are betrayed by the Western countries. And it was the beginning of the ideology of the fortress, and that's how the ideology of traditional values came to the surface. End quote. Well, what is more interesting is what the Bible has to say. The scriptures paint a clear picture of a kingdom of men united and standing in opposition to the kingdom of God in the latter days. The interpretation given by Daniel points this out, as we read in Daniel chapter 2, verse 28. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. 
Well, the vision was given to tell the king what shall be in the latter days, and it stands as a picture of the kingdom of men that would ultimately be united, as is indicated by its destruction that we read in Daniel 2 verse 35. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken in pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away, and there was no place found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Well, the statement of the image being broken in pieces together indicates a unification of the various parts. The word together is the Hebrew word achad, meaning as one. It is the same phrase used of the symbolic man of one in Daniel chapter 10 verse 5, which stands in opposition to the image of the kingdom of men in the latter days. The image of the kingdom of men in the latter days is fractured, as is evidenced by the description of the feet. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Whereas thou sawest, iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with miry clay. Daniel 2 verses 42 to 43. Well, the various metals, although resistant to cohesion, are assembled together at the time of the end and standing on the feet. What unites them is the religious element of the Babylonian head. Remember the words of Revelation, the latter-day beast is directed by a woman who is identified with the head of gold, as we read in chapter 17, verse 5. Upon her head was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. The name Babylon the Great is emblazoned on her forehead, and the extent of her career explained in verse 18. The woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Well, reflecting on this, Graham Pierce, a Christadelphian writer living at the height of the Cold War, published a booklet entitled Russia, the Vatican, and the Invasion of Israel in 1970. This is what he foresaw based on those prophecies. We read, One other useful feature emerges from considering the image as erected complete at this time. The image has a golden Babylonian head. The head is the most important part of a man. It directs, it rules the body. The Bible speaks in clear terms about a Babylon that reigns over the kings of the earth when Christ comes. So we have the revelation filling out the feature of the head of the image. Babylon the Great, in its religious aspect, has the papacy as its head, and it must therefore play an important part in the erection of the image on its feet phase of Europe. The great confederacy coming down upon Israel has a religious element in it. It comes as a crusade. Also, this Babylonian great head of the image is in line with what we have already seen in Daniel 7, that the fourth beast, as it stands in the time of judgment, has not only brazen feet to stamp with the military power, but it has a horn with papal eyes in the mouth to speak great words against the Ancient of Days. End quote. Well, this was written at the height of atheistic communist grip on Russia, called at that time the Soviet Union. Graham Pierce went on to state, The idea put forth by several that the papacy is soon to disappear and be replaced by an atheistic superpower is not true. There is plenty of atheism about, but it has been so for a long time. Socialists from the time of the French Revolution have generally been atheists, as are the Communist Party in Russia today. But the Bible shows that a form of Christianity will hold sway in the end. 
The Russian and Vatican systems are very similar and will coalesce quite easily. The Vatican is no more and no less atheist than her counterpart Babylon of old. Her outward facade of Christianity is no index of her real self. Russia has long conceived the idea of establishing a third Rome, and in combining with the Vatican will succeed. End quote. Well, the words of Ezekiel define the alliance which comes against Israel in the latter days in religious terms, as we read in chapter 38, verse 7. We read, Be thou assembled, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. The word company in the Hebrew is the word kahal, meaning a congregation, convocation, an assembly for war or religious purposes. The word in the Septuagint is synagogue. Well, Daniel the prophet identifies the career of the king of the north, the military leader of the image. The quest is the restoration of Constantinople, but continues into Israel where he ultimately stakes his claim. We read in chapter 11, verses 40 to 45, At the time of the end, the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and many ships, and shall enter into the countries, which is Turkey, and shall overflow and pass over. He shall also enter into the glorious land, which is Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown. He shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Well, the expectation of Bible students has been the arising of a religious Russia that will lead a crusade against Turkey first to reclaim St. Sophia's, and then overflow and pass over into the glorious holy land, as Daniel predicts. John Thomas, a Bible student, wrote about this in 1868. He said, The power causing falsehood, or false prophetism, to prosper must hold Jerusalem at the crisis of the accomplishment of indignation. By false prophetism, I mean papalism. Hence, the sultan must be ejected that a dynasty patronizing a high priest who forbids to marry may come in. When, therefore, the Tsar gets possession of Constantinople, he will not be hostile to the Pope. On the contrary, he will honor and acknowledge him and be the enemy of the Holy Land. But when the autocrat gains Constantinople and Russianizes Italy and the West, and having superseded the Ottoman regime in Asia, comes as Gog to invade the Holy Land and besiege Jerusalem, the little horn of the goat will again represent the power of the dominion briefly united under one chief, and he, the proudest that has ever exalted and magnified himself above all the rulers of the earth. End quote. Well, it's interesting to hear what the ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew I has to say about the plight of Orthodox Christians in Turkey. He is head of the 300 million strong Orthodox Church and lives in a complex of nine buildings tightly squeezed into less than an acre in Istanbul. He carries the title of Archbishop of Constantinople and New Rome. He was interviewed on the television program 60 Minutes, where he was asked by a reporter, I think a lot of people would want to know, your all-holiness, why a leader of so many millions of Orthodox Christians in the world lives in a country that is 99% Muslim. His answer was this, We are here because before this country becomes a Muslim country, much earlier since ever, since the very beginning of the foundation of our church, since the foundation of Constantinople, we feel that our mission is here as it has been for 17 entire centuries. I wonder why the authorities of our country do not expect this history.
For us, this is a continuation of Jerusalem. It is equally sacred and holy ground. We prefer to stay here, even crucified sometimes, because in the gospel it is written that it is given to us not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Christ. End of quote. So the Eastern Orthodox still view Constantinople as holy ground. Well, the Bible predicts they will seize it once again. Well, the resurrection of a religious Russia is not a religious sideshow, but a central plank in the administration of Russia. The Political Theological Network published an article in July of 2018 which stated, In December 2017, Russian President Vladimir Putin gave a speech at the Episcopal Council of the Russian Orthodox Church in honor of the 100th anniversary of the reinstatement of the Russian Patriarchy. In his speech, Putin praised the Orthodox Church for its contribution to Russia. At the end of the 20th century, which he called a time of spiritual rebirth and a huge growth of the church's authority in society, it supported people, gave hope, and helped us acquire a moral and spiritual direction in life. Putin expressed hope for the continued collaboration between the church and the Russian government and honored the church for its understanding of quote-unquote Christian civilization. Well, the Daily Signal published an article in February under the title of How Putin Uses the Russian Orthodoxy to Grow His Empire. It stated, when Vladimir Putin rose to the presidency of Russia in 2000, he inherited the remains of a once fearsome communist atheistic imperial state. In the intervening 19 years, he has transformed Russia back into an imperial power with global ambitions. One of his key tools in that transformation has been the Russian Orthodox Church. The article went on to state, Putin has set himself up as a defender of traditional morality, for instance, by opposing homosexuality, penalizing divorce, and supporting the traditional family. He loves to pose for photo ops with the Russian patriarch Kirill, and has even published calendars of himself featuring traditional liturgical celebrations, end quote. Well, the speed and force of this revival was highlighted by Constantine Malafiev, chairman of the Zagrad TV, chairman of the board of directors for the Society at the Development of Russian Historical Education, and chairman of the Double-Headed Eagle, and founder of the St. Basil the Great Charitable Foundation, which is responsible for the construction, restoration, and financially supporting the development and growth of the Russian Orthodox Church. Incidentally, every week a staggering 19 churches are either built or restored in Russia. This is what he had to say. 25,000 newly built or restored churches, 800 monasteries, millions of new believers. We are on another wave, another trend. If in Europe the crescendo goes down and the values are going down, in Russia we have a moral trend back to Christian roots, end quote. Well, the publication International Policy Digest confirmed this when it stated, Putin continues to emphasize the need for God in Russian society, in his words, and in his negotiations with the Russian Orthodox Church. However, it's important to note that Putin's encouragement of religious growth through the promotion of the Russian Orthodox Church is not without political benefit. As of February 2016, Russia had 34,764 parishes, with the 200 church program, this number has only been increasing. Uh, 
Though protests for new church construction are popping up across the country, the level of Russian Orthodox Church influence is increasingly resembling its status in the days of the Russian Empire. End quote. Religion is declining in the West, but not so in Russia. It is the largest Christian country by population in Europe, according to Pew Research Center. The Daily Signal discussed the Kremlin's cozy relationship with religion, stating the Kremlin use of Orthodox Christianity makes perfect sense given religious trends in the region. Orthodox Christianity has enjoyed a marked revival in Eastern Europe in the past two decades. In nine of Russia's regional neighboring states, Moldova, Greece, Armenia, Georgia, Serbia, Romania, Ukraine, Bulgaria, and Belarus, more than 70% of the people identify as Orthodox, according to current Pew Research results. The revival of Orthodox coincides with the pro-Russian sentiment. Pew Research notes that in the nine former Soviet nations that are majority Orthodox, except for Ukraine, more than half of those surveyed agree that a strong Russia is necessary to balance the power of the West. Their research concludes, many Orthodox Christians, and not only Russian Orthodox Christians, express pro-Russian views. Orthodox identity is tightly bound up with the national identity, feelings of pride and cultural superiority, support for linkages between national churches and government, and views of Russia as a bulwark against the West. Of remarkable note has been the moves to bring the Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Churches back together again under Putin, but that's a story for another day. As we watch Russia resurrecting its religious roots in fulfillment of Bible prophecies and of the hopes and expectations of Bible students going back at least 170 years, we are reminded of the words of the prophet Amos. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants the prophets. Chapter 3, verse 7. In these last days, on the dawn of the greatest upheaval the world will ever see, our God draws back the curtain in the political world and allows us to witness the Bible living in the news. As we see these events taking place, we are encouraged to prepare ourselves for the great day when we are promised, To him that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. Revelation 2, verses 26 to 28. For the Bible and the News, this has been Jonathan Bowen joining you.